with the this inability to connect sometimes that, that's scary for people, uh, it is a practice and it, and and a lot of times it starts one on one. You know, it starts in your relationships and really connecting in that one on one space. Because I I know, for example, our we have a, a, a you know our daughter's partner. He is very very shy, but he's now starting to connect eyeball to eyeball. But it just takes that time and that yeah. that uh, sense of safety, if you will. So I think build the confidence in a safe environment and then expand out into that you know the the broader spectrum you are entering the age rebels revolution the intelligent podcast for over 40s who want to live their best life and defy your numbers we are your hosts summer bentley and isaac xavier come on in with us today is global wellness guru grant gamble he is currently the ceo of alliance wellness group and is also helping to develop a series of innovative wellness campuses on the east coast of Australia. Really exciting stuff. His journey to this current point began in the trenches of the fitness industry 35 years ago, doing every job from taking aerobics classes and to cleaning the gym. This man has truly earned his stripes and deserves all the success he has achieved so far. His success has been due to the mantra he lives by in life and in business people first. He has the proven formula for organizations to have their team love what they do and in turn grow the business. Grant has been directly or indirectly responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people across the globe find their happy, healthy place. In this episode, we'll be talking about Total Fusion Wellness Centers. There's five in Brisbane. Grant is the CEO. He is the new leader, super smart in business, heart-centered, and puts people first. He's developed Affinity OS, which is an operating system for businesses. We'll also be discussing his book, The Affinity Principle. You can see all of this on his amazing website, grantiangamble.com. We'll put links in the show notes for all of these. If you love our podcast as much as we love you listening, share it with your friends. Grant, your first ever business venture in the fitness industry in the early 1980s could have been a financial disaster, but you were successful in turning it around by what you call team affinity. Clearly, this principle works because looking at your wonderful creations with all your wellness centers and your best-selling book, The Affinity Principle, plus that AI-driven software for organizations, Affinity OS, how did you come across this principle of affinity? Well, I, I could honestly say I really stumbled across it. I'd like to say it was more thoughtful and creative than that. But when I fell into that first business, I really didn't know what I didn't know. And so I, I looked at this business and I saw it had really good people in it. I loved the members. Uh, I thought the location was good. I, I felt like, why had this business gone bust four times before? And I really felt it revolved around the people and around how the team had been nurtured or, or the lack of nurture and also the members and the lack of nurture there. So mm-hmm. I think it was very much more a tactile, very visceral thing. And I, it was more doing and less thinking, to be honest. And, you know, they talk about the uh, the chasm of cognitive effort. And that is, you know, that space between where we have our instincts and we truly 
draw on those instincts, uh, we move into this more experiential space where maybe we've learned a lot of stuff, made a lot of mistakes. Well, I hadn't really got into that space at that point, so I was still very instinctive. And then, you know, you move into this space of now I've got a lot of experience and fear can overwhelm and overtake and you mm-hmm. think of all the things that could go wrong or you should do differently. Yeah. And my, I think my journey, just to close the, the thought, is has started very instinctively. And then it moved to much more experience and going down some of the wrong roads too and coming back to that place of truly connecting with people and, uh, and creating that affinity. So in summary, I'd say it didn't start as something that I thought about so much as felt oh. and did. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And because – from the moment we met you, Tink and I, when we went up to the Total Fusion gyms, we could just get this sense of, because I was actually expecting some pumped up, you know, how you doing and with the big handshake and everything. And it just had this very gentle, earthed, but switched on heart-centered leader. It was uh, so refreshing. Yes, that actually blew me away as well. It was a very different experience. I didn't know what to expect, but the welcome and how we were made to feel while we were there, the experience, uh, as I was just saying before we started recording, it spoilt me now and it's really hard to find anything that matches up to that. So congratulations on such a successful experience with Total Fusion. Yeah, because when we went up there and we, two days, the – the centre had been open, or the uh, Springwood. Springfield, morning side. Yep. No, sorry, um, Morningside. Yep. Morningside yep. had been open. Yep. And you wouldn't know it. Walk in and there's beautiful scent. There's speakers in the gardens. And Tink and I were just like, oh, my God, this is another planet. <laughs> and then you, Utopia. Yeah, and then the, the team, I made the mistake of saying staff members, and Grant generally said team members, and I went, Oh, yes, they're part of the team. And they were so welcoming and even getting a smoothie. And I was sitting there look, going through all the smoothies and which one should I get? And when the woman said to me, she said, with a big smile, she said, so what are you having? Instead of like, what do you want? It yep. was this, yep. you know, so what are you having? It was so. Oh, that's such a nice way to say it. Was yeah. that intentional? Mm. Or- well, it is, and Corinne, that was the lady there, uh, is is very intentional. But but again, instinctively, like that just is what comes out of her. So, you know, one of the things, sort of side note, uh, back to that first experience, what I felt like was that the right people were there, but maybe they just didn't have, you know, the right nurturing and they, the right focus, if you will. Uh, a lot of times what it comes down to is talent and it's acquisition of talent. And so with Corinne, you know, just an incredible hire and I wasn't responsible for that. I, I inherited her and was so pleased too. Mm. And and it's not hard. It's, you know, the old adage, uh, hire hard, manage easy. And, mm-hmm. you know, with somebody like her, she, that just comes naturally for her. I love yeah. that. That's that's a really great principle, actually. Mm. Hire hard, manage easy. Mm. I've always heard the principle of hire fast, uh, for hire slow, fire fast, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. not manage easy. So that's beautiful. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Can I ask an, a question? I sometimes throw some curveball questions in along the way in between Isaac's plan. Isaac warned me. <laughs> <laughs> With, uh, I just want to go back to affinity for a moment because I really love love that word. It's 
It has an energy about it. And I'd love to get your definition of affinity and how does that help you to make decisions in your life and in your business life moving forward? Mm, that's a great question. So I'm not sure what Webster says, but uh, I think affinity is that synchronicity, the um, attraction to each other and that alignment that we have when we find that we're with people of a similar ilk. So that would be my simple definition of it. In terms of, you know, how we draw that into a business or, or bring focus to that, I think a lot of times we talk to hire hard, manage easily. Easy. It, it's really important to think about the, about the component parts. So what are you putting together here? And sometimes, like, it would like, I'd give an example of putting a bunch of A-plus salespeople together. If you put that team of four or five, you know, world beaters, if you will, mm -hmm. it's not going to work. Like you, you do need those people that, that are softer and eat more easygoing and, and aren't going to be that aggressive person diving at the person at the front desk, that sort of thing. So, so to create that affinity and that alignment, you do need texture. You need people to be uh, able to complement each other. And that complementary nature of affinity is really important. And so that's what, what I try and bring into that mix um, when, when hiring too. Yep. Mm, I'm not that, sure if that answers the question. It actually really does. As a business mm. owner, I know many of our listeners as well, Isaac, mm. are business owners or entrepreneurs. Uh, but I think even most of them are executive or at least management levels. So I think that plays a very significant role. Mm. And when I was business coaching, the number one thing or complaint that I got was staff. Mm. And I heard a funny funny quote on a very low level TV show the other day, but it was the fish stinks at the head and you're the head. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, wow. Right, okay. Right. Yep. Uh, I yep. didn't feel that was fair or reasonable in, in the scene, but uh, mm. I do, I'm, I'm a radical self-responsibility person. So I think affinity for everybody is really important to be able to create the environment, the people, the experience. Absolutely. And to your point there, Think um, if you think about the affinity principle, that formula of success: uh, great leadership leads to a great team experience. Great team experience leads to a great member or customer experience, which equals financial results. And I think that speaks to that fish thinking from the head. <laughs> you know, if it starts with great and mindful leadership, where we're really looking at our people, servant leadership, I think is is a layer of that, mm. where we're working with the team then the team's going to tend to have a, a better day than when they've just seriously given a set of rules and guidelines and, you know, coaching and they're constantly being uh, measured by what they did wrong rather than what they did right, you know, all those things. So leadership is so integral, it is, to the outcome, obviously. Yeah. Mm, brilliant. And your, your book, uh, there's so much in that, as you can see, I've got post-it notes right the way through it. Hmm. And there's this one quote that I love that says, the best way to lead people into the future is to connect them, connect with them deeply in the present. And I thought that was so powerful. And when you talk, Tink and I, through the Total Fusion Wellness Sense, three of them, you know, this is in Brisbane. If people haven't heard of them, if you come to Brisbane, you have to check them out. You probably won't want to leave though. <laughs> I can definitely it's, attest to that. You can spend a whole day there. They've got the spa that... I won't go on. You can check it out. Um, so what we witnessed is how you, you live that principle, that, that quote, and you knew every team member's name. 
you took a moment like genuinely to say hello to each member. And I thought as a leader, I'm thinking, wow, you know, you've got a really demanding job. A lot of people want your attention. So how do you manage this people first principle while still running the business side of the business? Good question. Yeah, and it does come back down to being present. And I'd say this is something I work on every day and I fail at every day. <laughs> like it's so easy to get yeah. into your head, to disconnect, to not acknowledge somebody or even to drift off in your thoughts when you're having a conversation, thinking about what you're going to say in reply or some tangential thing. So it's a practice and I think I'm good at it, but not great at it. But it's also something I'm very conscious of. And, and acknowledging the team members by name you know, it's not a lot of effort. And if you're in that moment, just connecting with them, being truly present with them in that moment, just that few seconds even that it might be, just acknowledges them and recognizes them and, and knows that they're, they, they sense that they're appreciated. And a lot of this is sensing, like a lot of yeah. this is energetic. Mm. And I get a lot of joy out of connecting with them too. So it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's selfish, but it is definitely something where I'm receiving it every bit as much as I, I give. And I walked into a club the other day that I hadn't been into for a week or so, and the reception I received, and, and in turn, you know, just acknowledging, you know, the team members by name and, and just catching up with them just a little bit was really, uh, it just energised me. So it helps me sort of get through those big days and, Obviously, when I step away from the team and into an office in front of a screen, I'm just like everybody else, you know, I just mm. bury myself and, and do the stuff I need to do. But the team connection, that affinity principle, if you will, driving mm. that, mm. It, it's much more subliminal today than it was maybe 10 years ago when I had to be much more conscious of it. And It, it is a practice. It's like any mindfulness. Uh, it, it's always a practice. Love this podcast? How about you give us a positive review? We love five stars. And there's one story in your book, and recently I've been listening to Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning mm. and finding the meaning in everything, getting past the first part of the book, which is pretty harrowing about the concentration camps, but mm. then applying that to how he would, he would um, counsel his, his um, patients. And there's one story I love, and this is when you were in the States, about one of your team members, Linda, and she was so pleasantly surprised at, about how you treated her. As she told you, as in the book, it said her previous job as a housekeeper in a hotel, and she spoke about the fact that for the whole 25 years that she was there, no one in senior man management ever acknowledged her, no one ever called her by name and no one even asked how a day was going. And you speak of research showing that a happy team can improve business profitability by up to 147%. So clearly people first is not just doing the right thing. It's not just the right thing to do, but it's clearly really good for business. Yeah. Yes. Very, very good for business. And as I say, you know, the financial rewards are a byproduct, but they're very real. And I've seen that come out in many, many businesses. You know, my reputation in the early days was built around resurrecting businesses. And the first one was the one that we talked about before. And I wasn't really sure of the formula then. I just sort of, again, instinctively felt like working with a team, building the team, nurturing the team, nurturing the members, you know, all those connections. Mm. 
just felt right and it, and it seemed to work. But just stepping back to Linda, what was amazing about Linda was when we hired her, she was very shy, very introverted, um, and the sweetest lady. And you could just tell she has this just sweet energy about her, but she was very reserved. And uh, I would often approach her and say, hi, how you doing today, Linda? And she, she would almost run away. And one day I, I bailed her up in the laundry. <laughs> Poor thing. She couldn't escape. <laughs> and I said, Linda, I feel like I, I scare you or intimidate you. I'm, I'm really sorry if, you know, if I make you feel that way. And she said, no. She said, I've just never in all my – so she'd been a housekeeper for 25 years, started in her mid-teens as a housekeeper, came to me when she was in her 50s. And she'd never been acknowledged or recognised or called by name or any of those things. And – like it actually is, you know, that really upsets me. Like that upsets me that this beautiful lady who had never really been acknowledged, you know, had, had done a really good job for those companies all those years without any acknowledgement. Linda turned out to be our best service provider. Like she would win service provider of the year, year after year. And I'm talking across a dozen or more clubs up and down the Atlantic coast. She would be the number one service provider. And she was just this, this quiet, gentle, good Samaritan that, that just moved through the club almost seamlessly, but the connections and the relationships she created and the joy that she brought and the warmth. Like, I mean, this is a beautiful, gifted, warm and emotionally intelligent lady who did not have a, a mean bone in her body, but mm-hmm. to go through life for 25 years yeah. just being treated like a, and I'm going to say inverted commas, a cleaner yeah. or a housekeeper, uh, you know, I talk about this all the time with our teams about the importance of, you know, cleanliness, the housekeeping and so forth, but they we're all on the housekeeping team, that it's not just the people that carry the brooms around, it's, it's up to all of us. And if we're all housekeepers and the place will be spotless and clean, you know, and clean, but it also is standing beside people like Linda when they've got a really tough job mm. anyway. So, you know, she w- was to me the poster child of, you know, of affinity because she attracted and integrated people into that department in a, in a wonderful way. And she was acknowledged constantly by the members for her contributions. And she really came out of herself. Like she was never gregarious or that, you know, uh, never became a, you know, raging extrovert, but in her own gentle and soft and kind way, she really opened up and it was beautiful to see her blossom. Mm. Yeah. I have a housekeeper that I adore and uh, I've always, I buy her surprise flowers mm. and things because she's the most important person in my employment, <laughs> employee team, in my opinion, because if she doesn't do what she does, I don't have the space to do what I need she to do. She frees you up. Yep. She really does. Yeah. So I will do what, I give her bonuses and things. I'm not trying to blow sunshine up my own, but it's it's just, Ooh. she just means that much to me. <laughs> And, and to acknowledge that and to yeah. see that, that's that's the beauty of it, and to acknowledge each other and our contributions and how they contribute to us being better too. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I, I just want to address also housekeeping is so important internally as well, isn't it? And we don't necessarily have the ability to hire someone to clean up our thoughts and clean up our attitude and mm. keep that clear mm. for us to be able to get done what we need to get done. How do you mm. work through the internal housekeeping with your members yeah it's, a, yeah it's a brilliant question so and i'm not sure if i'm going to answer the question that you've just asked because well the, the thing that immediately comes to mind is our metal furnace what we put into our metal furnace and you know if you put rubbish in you get rubbish out mm. it's it's 
truth. And so I feel like when we're putting positive in to our own mental furnace, if you will, uh, and into our environment, you get it back. So, you know, one of the key things, I actually stole this from a club in San Francisco. They had this little uh, suggestion box and it was called uh, Catch Us Doing Something Right which I loved that, right? It wasn't like give us a suggestion or tell us what we're doing wrong. It was more like just keep your eyes out. You know, you might get a pleasant surprise. And I love that. And we did a variation of that. We called it Catch Us Exceeding Your Expectations. But what that really did was, and Isaac's pointing at it in the book there. I've got um, it open on the page. I was just about to ask you. It's like Catch Us Exceeding Your Expectations with yeah. a big photo of Linda. Yeah, yeah. And, and truly that was the framework and it was how we measured service provider of the year. It wasn't our opinion. It wasn't subjective. It was an objective measure. And I'll tell you a little anecdote with Linda. So we had name badges. That was a big part of our thing. And we just had first names on there because uh, I didn't want titles. I didn't need anybody to know, you know, what my title was. I wanted them to know I was a part of the team and same for everybody. Mm. So Linda had the same name badge as I did. Underneath, we had a little icebreaker. Mine was H-H-I-C-O-M-T, head honcho in charge of miscellaneous things, which was my, <laughs> I think my official, that 10 times yeah, yeah, <laughs> my official job title. But uh, Linda uh, had, you know, an, an anecdote about her grandkids, right? And, uh, and people would ask about that stuff. But so moral cool. of the story, when uh, somebody would write a catch us exceeding your expectations, you know, Linda was amazing. She helped me out today, like when I was really stressed and made me feel great and, whatever, she would, you know, that person would submit that and that would get collected. And if she got five of these within a period of uh, two months, then she would get a star on her badge, right? And this little star was a catch a succeeding in your expectations star. And she ended up getting 10 stars. So we then got her a gold name badge and then she got 20 stars. And we're like, <laughs> okay, um, and we kept going. And so she got so many stars constantly from members acknowledging her and catching her doing things right. But that was her natural propensity anyway, that we ended up putting a diamond in, it's like oh. putting a diamond in her name badge, like just to acknowledge that, you know, she was that special. And, you know, that was, that's a good, I think, the point about the metal furnace and bringing good things in is that we, you know, if we're looking for good things and seeking good things, often those things will come to us. Uh, I heard a great podcast the other day on cynicism and, you know, I was thinking about attracting people to yourself like that are abundant mm. and not don't have the scarcity mentality and, and how much of a difference that can make in your lives. Well, that's the same with your team. If you attract a lot of team members who truly are abundant in their approach to people and approach to their work, it all rises with that. And so I think the truth is what we attract, what we bring in is, is really critical into our mind and into our hearts, into our space. The other thing I would say as a side note is I really don't look at the news. When Yana met me, my wife met me, you know, I really didn't look at the news at all. And, and uh, I, I think at first she was a little sort of, uh, but we're both the same way now. We just avoid it because yeah. it's just so full of uh, dire, horrible prognostications and for the future. And it can really put a damper on how you, how you look at the world. I subscribe to the Good News Channel. It's a, like a news feed that all it does is give you really good news. <laughs> That's cool. And yeah, and I'm not trying to bury my head in the sand, but I am trying to look at what's, what, what good things are happening in the world mm. and not magnify those things that are happening that, that are disturbing and concerning. And we should 
obviously be conscious of them, but, but not languish in them. And I think we get drawn into that. Uh, there was a study done on the Boston bombing and they found that people that absorbed, I think it was six or eight hours of news on the Boston bombing actually had greater PTSD than people that were actually there. Wow. Wow. You know, so I, I think we just need to be, be guardians of our, you know, I say our thoughts are a byproduct, are guardians of those things that enter into our space. If you're ready to age young, discover the truth about accessing the fountain of youth and claiming your best ever health, check out our beautiful website at agerebels.com where you will find freebies, programs and more. So I think what I'm hearing is probably similar to what I say to my daughter every other day of her life, is if you just put in five minutes each day and set that intention of pick up all the clothes off the floor (laughs) in your bedroom, I know you can all relate to me, Uh, you'd never have a big problem to clean up or a big mess to clean up. So I think I'm hearing that if people are just making that, spend the time to make that decision to see look for the positive things or what people are doing right, that will basically set up the housekeeping and you never have a big problem to fix. You're absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. Love that movie, uh, What About Bob? It's a Bill Murray movie and uh, it's an old one, but, you know, he talks about baby steps and it is, it's just this incremental thing. I don't think any of these things are achieved, you know, by one fell swoop. They're all achieved Mm. by the little incremental things we do, but just, again, being present and conscious and, you know, I don't want to, I can't pat myself on the back and say I'm present all the time because I'm really not. And, and I'm not sure who is. Maybe there's some gurus out there who are, but it's, it is a constant, you know, it's not, a, not work. It's just, again, just recognizing when we do drift off. It's like uh, meditation. You know, it's, it's just recognizing those thoughts and, and letting them dissipate. But equally for what we're describing here, it really is just, just coming back to the moment. And I, and I feel like when you look at somebody in their eyes, like in connect on that level, it all comes into focus very quickly. That's a good mechanical way to, to do it. Oh, yes. Just so look into someone's eyes. That's just perfect. very simple. We keep having Biohack. the same thoughts. It's mm. bizarre. I'm sitting there. I'm about to say something, Grant. Mm. Because <laughs> that's – no, no, no. It's brilliant. I love it when mm. we have this affinity. Because <laughs> um, that's one of the things in our online program about being present. Notice the – color of a person's eyes Mm, mm. and the what you said before about the news and staying present see the interesting thing and i love we've all known this intuitively those of us been in the wellness industry for 20 30 years people would roll their eyes at us and just go yeah it's all woo woo when we just say just think positive you feel okay but (laughs) like the research showing about gratitude that I read a research a study the other day where just three things before you go to sleep, then your brain prefrontal cortex starts mm. to then recognize the positive. Yep. And also with the news, Steven Pinker, the psychologist in his Ted talks has shown that news is not only getting more negative, but they're exaggerating things more and more. And so I know that, you know, what you said before about don't look at the news and some people say, Oh no, I've got, and I ask them, I say, Hey, is your day going to be any different knowing all of that news mm. that you just read, is it mm. going to change anything? And the answer is never yes. So yep. that's, 
you know, these small steps, I think they're, they're, they're really, really important. Yeah. I love what you were saying about being present because it is a big conversation that people have and, and people often use it as a, a sales pitch and it can be used in many different ways. From my perspective and experience, I'm a very fast-paced brain and I find it very difficult. Mm. And I'm sure a lot of our people listening right now are feeling the same way, but it's, it's, it sounds easy, but it's very mm. difficult to do. However, I think from what you were saying before, setting the intention to have even micro moments yes. of presence, yes. I think the impact of that on the whole yes. is quite profound. I love the micro moments. I think that's brilliant because it is, it's an it, you know, and there's an accumulative effect that comes with that, but it doesn't have to be a big touch point. It doesn't have to be like we walk every morning with our dogs. We do the, you know, sun on the eyeballs and, mm-hmm. you know, get forward ambulatory motion, you know, the human thing. And we love it. And we walk our dogs and we see a lot of people on the pathway and we look at them intentionally in the eyes and say, hi, a lot of times we've got headphones on. They might not hear us, might not acknowledge us, but you do get responses and over a period of time, those responses build and they actually see you coming and you can see them light up a little bit because you're saying hello. And it's beautiful like to, to do that. And again, I think you get every bit as much back as you, you give in that exchange, but it's, it's an easy practice. Like that's a simple way to do it. Like just when you're walking down the street, just look people in the eyes and say hi. And they might think you're a little weird and like, you know, but if they see you the second or third time, they go, oh, that's just a weirdo that says hi, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. in actual fact, you know you're touching them. And, and that's, if nothing else, it's that, that opportunity for that connection for them. And there's an old older gentleman that walks every day. He's been walking every day in that area for 50 years. And people stop and acknowledge him all the time because he looks at them and he wants to connect. And you can see he's got this intention of, of connecting and it's just a beautiful soul and Yara and I stop all the time and chat with him and it's mm. just gorgeous. And, you know, you see these people and, and I've been guilty of this that just hell bent on getting your walk in at a certain pace, get your heart rate up and do this and do that. And I know that my heart's a lot healthier for that, making that stop mm. and that connection with him than if I was, you know, getting it to 120 beats per minute For's on sure. pace and, you know, getting my... 30 minutes in. That is such an important it, statement. So important. Because it's, yeah, it's such a, a sales pitch to get get your heart rate up mm. and do this and go harder, harder, mm. more, more, more. Mm. And yet what you're saying, it's been proven, this is Isaac's information, not mine, but I've learned from Isaac that it's been proven to be a longevity experience Mother, by having yeah. that social yeah. integration and connection. Yeah. Blue zones. Yeah. yeah it's abs- one of the tenants. It's mm. a base tenant of blue zones. Yeah. But I have a confession mm. to make. And it's probably a lack of values that was that was taught to me and also a lot of insecurities. But I wanted to be for a long time the person who would look someone, I, could, I look people in the t- eye all the time, but would have the courage to say hello. And it wasn't that I was rude or arrogant. I was shy and mm. had a fear of rejection. Mm. So I'm sure mm. there is a lot of people out yeah. there that they're not being disconnected but have a fear of rejection. Yes. So... For me, I actually bypassed that and, and was able to get to that point where I'm now the, the one they look at and go, oh, there's a crazy, crazy lady that says, good morning, with a sing. Um, but what would you say in that scenario to those people? It's hard. <clears throat> Linda's a great example, lack of confidence. Mm. She'd never been reaffirmed in any way or affirmed in any way. I honestly think, again, baby steps, just start with little stuff just by looking the person in the eye. Don't even have to say anything or, or do anything verbally. We all know that 
you know, body language yeah. is apparent to us and it's, it's transparent. So I think just looking at people and acknowledging them with your eyes and, and maybe not going as far as saying hello if you feel like if they don't say hello, I'm going to feel bad, it's going to, you know, mm. not help me. I, th- I think just make that connection. I also think um, a very good friend of mine is a Myers-Briggs master presenter. You know, he's mm. really big in that space. And he taught me a lot in my early years about I's and E's. And I was a bigger E back then, much more gregarious. And he, you know, thought I was an eye basher, you know, because I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I was always looking for those people that would connect and, mm. you know, make connections within the clubs and, and that sort of thing. And, and that tended to be extroverts. And the truth is I wasn't. I really see the introverts run, I shouldn't say, uh, I was going to say run a lot more deep. They, they just think more more cerebrally oftentimes or they hold their thoughts within and it takes them a while to pump them out. But, mm. but my point is that with the this inability to connect sometimes that, that's scary for people, uh, it is a practice and, it, and and a lot of times it starts one-on-one. You know, it starts in your relationships and really connecting in that one-on-one space. Because I, I know, for example, our um, we have a, a, a you know, our daughter's partner. He is very, very shy, but he's now starting to connect, you know, eyeball to eyeball, but it just takes that time and that, yeah. that uh, sense of safety, if you will. So I think build, build the confidence in a safe environment and then expand out into that, you know, the, the broader spectrum. Well, that, that's actually really yeah. powerful. Yeah, yeah, thank you for sharing yeah. that. As, yeah, yeah. In, in that team environment. And also um, what I found is that if you don't make it about you, so if you say hello and the person ignores you, mm. it's never going to be about you. Mm. Absolutely. Unless, unless you're doing the barat in the mankini, <laughs> you know, and it's like you, they're going to reject Awkward. you for a reason. But my mum, bless her cotton socks, she would actually do that. She'd have dogs and hello, and if she ignored, she'd say, oh, Bianca, that person must be very deaf. And <laughs> <laughs> she would make them laugh. Oh. <laughs> That's an icebreaker. She was too, so not everyone would get away with that. But I, I do say to people, if you're very introverted, but if you just say, I'm going to step out aside myself, this is not about me. If I can connect, if the person completely ignores me, I don't know whether that person is just woken up with the worst news ever and they just are completely shut in. But I wanted to come to one point because the one thing that I think you brought to so many people through your decades in the industry is that sense of meaning. Um, so many people at the moment are talking about, it's like they've lost their sense of meaning because mm. technology is just so overtaken and success and phones and cars and blah, blah, blah. So how do you help people get that sense of meaning, especially when team members come to you and they, you can see that they're lost? Mm. Yeah, look, it's a great, great question. There's a few layers to that for me. One of the things that came to mind immediately was um, analog versus di- digital. I speak to that a little bit. You know, uh, the, we, we live in a very digital world. And I think about it in terms of, uh, think of the digital waveform. It's really like little squares, like little you know, pixels, and they're all got sharp edges to them. You look at an analog wave and it's got beautiful curves to it. Mm. And the analog world is, I think, a lot more gentle, a lot more 
a lot softer. My uh, my son or our son now has a record player and he plays oh, vinyl I love those. and just loves it. And he's like, there's something about this music because he's real loves his music and and so does his partner, his girlfriend. And you know, and it's it is this analog waveform, if you will. That it's, it's hard to see that. Obviously, uh, mm. you know, if you got an oscilloscope, you could look at it. But yeah. uh, but my point is that the that softness, that um, that connection comes with. You know, I think not firstly getting away from your screen as much as possible. Mm. Um, what I do see at the clubs that I really love is not a lot of people coming in with headphones on, not a lot of people using headphones generally, which is really unusual. And That's good. And I'm not sure exactly how we've created that. And I think it comes because that connection that person has at the front desk or at the refuel bar mm. or even with the instructor, you know, in the classes and intention set in the classes, all classes, there's – an intention set and so it's it's a much more conscious connection i think on some levels so that's in, inherent within the model and i love that but i think where i'm going with this is that you know to get that level of uh, you know connection and uh, again affinity not to over overuse yeah. the words yeah. you know I, I think it's just having that ability to connect in that in the analog space in in the physical space and and i mean i think about think back to covid so when covid was on there was a lot of online stuff they had no choice yeah you know, people were hunkered down and they're at home and they've got their peloton bike or they're you know behind you know watching a virtual screen doing a class what happened to people over that time was a huge disconnect a, a social disconnect and i think what's happened since is that people are craving that and i think if you can I'm going to say serve that, like serve that craving, if you will, but more more so just meet them where they are yeah. in that need for communion. And, and I say communion not in a religious sense, but but for that connection, um, I, I think they will – it does a couple of different things. One, it becomes an attractant, you know, where people gravitate to it, so they're drawn to it, which really is is wonderful for the business, obviously, but mm. wonderful for that community that builds around it. But also think that – there's 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 an inherent value of people coming together and and sharing and, and that could be over food you know it could be over that's why i think the refuel bars are a neat piece of the model from my experience i've put cafes in almost every wellness center i've done and we know that most times we're not going to make money or we might break even and at best we might make a little bit but the intentionality of people actually taking a break. So I'll give you an example. And so this is sort of a scenario. Mum takes her child to the childcare, drops the, her little one off. And she's frazzled. She, she gets into the class three minutes late, you know, because yeah. that's, that's sort of how life is. But then after the class, her and her girlfriends go down to the refuel bar and she takes another 20 or 30 minutes just to commune with her friends and yeah. drink a cup of coffee before she goes and picks up the little one. That connection there, like there's nothing that she could get through the digital space or from home yeah. or in any other, you know, context similar. There's nothing that could, could marry up with the value that brings to her emotionally, energetically on, on so many different levels. So, again, I'm not sure if I've answered the question, but I am speaking to something I feel very passionate about, and that is that we really need to get away from the digital space as much as possible yeah. Do a digital detox every now and then. Uh, we did a digital detox when we sailed from Tahiti over to here, and uh, you had no choice. There was, you know, we had very, very limited 
Help communication <laughs> systems. It was perfect, and and oh. it was life. It was a game changer for both our kids, and I think they reflect back on the travels that we did, where a lot of times we were out in places where there was no internet signal, and it, it was transformative for them to actually pick up a book again and read a book. Mm. You know, and there's a good example of yes. a, of a uh, analog. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually, as you were saying about the analog and digital, I've never heard it that way, but I'm I'm grabbing the visual mm. of that. You're saying mm. about the beautiful soft curves of mm. the analog, and I immediately want to go out and buy an analog watch. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. I actually said that to yeah. someone yesterday. Yep. I want to go back to an old school watch for yep. because I love them. They're beautiful yep. and they're just softer. They're not buzzing yeah. at you every few minutes. Yeah. Uh, it's less interruption in your life. Mm. So I think even the visual of that explains a lot about how to drift from the rigidity of that digital into the soft flow of that analog. So mm. I'm definitely, thank you, I'm going to take that with me mm. today and implement that on a daily basis. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I would like to add one thing about books to that because our son really hadn't been reading books and uh, – was forced to really. He didn't have a choice. Uh, we're on the boat twenty four seven. You know, day night. It all sort of blends together. And so he started reading books again, and, and he really got a joy from it. And he, he was a little surprised by it, I think. And one of the things I think, if you think about our DNA back to our forefathers and go back to the days of papyrus, mm. you know, we've been in that tactile sense, reading books and writing and and using paper, and we have moved into this digital you know, world where we're on our tablet now or we listen to audio books. And I would say that just the act of picking up a book and flicking through those pages and, and touching it, that tactile sense, I think it connects with something far deeper than just that experience in the moment and what's on the, on the pages. I agree. I've gone back to books. Well, neurologically, yeah. I've looked at a lot of studies about, um, especially with kids and phones and things, and these amazing studies done where they get kids to, they all get the same project and there's different ways you can do it. It's either um, on your computer with a pen on lined paper or big paper and colored crayons and distilled down to one point. The kids not only did better in the assignment with the colored crayons and the big paper, but they so enjoyed it so much more. Yeah. And yeah. so one thing I wanted to ask you before we finish up there's a lot of people that are really scared of gyms. I remember when I first ever thought of walking into a gym when I was like 17, I thought it would just be full of beautiful people mm. and massive bodybuilders. Yep. I was so surprised to see normal people in there. Yep. What's your advice to people who are saying, I really wanted to get into a gym and now knowing that a gym, that it's not just a gym that, you know, if, if it is just a small gym around, you know, you don't have access to a beautiful wellness center like Total Fusion where you know it's going to be a sense of community and a sanctuary. But what would you advise people who are feeling really afraid of walking mm -hmm. a gym, feeling uh, insecure, ridiculed, whatever? That's a great question because this is a real passion point for me and we talked about this a little bit. I have spent much of my career working to attract the interested deconditioned, which are the people you're describing, oh. or the uninitiated believer. So they're uninitiated to the gym environment or to that, you know, sort of, or even movement, if you will, but they know the benefits of it. Mm. And this is honestly two thirds of the marketplace. So there's a sliver of the market, which active gym goers get it. They're comfortable walking into those, you know, into even it doesn't matter the most intimidating environment, but that's 20% of the, the market. There's 
twenty percent or a little bit less that they're never going to go to a gym because that's just not you know yeah. they, they probably and some of them don't even believe exercise is good for them. Yeah. Uh, so it's that greater group that that I feel like that uh, the one you're des- one yeah. you're describing, and the way we have done it in the past and the way we're doing it at Total Fusion is to build a really broad program you know, format. So mm. there's there's really something for everyone. Yeah. So my advice to somebody independent of them having, you know, a large wellness center with a very broad welcome mat, if you will, available to them is to seek out an activity that they enjoy, that they can see themselves doing, that they get enough intrinsic mm-hmm. motivation from to continue to do. And I've done a lot over the years of connecting people with exercise outside of the clubs. Uh, we mm. used to have a discovery program and that was teaching people how to mountain bike and kayak and rock climb and do all these other things that they never have access to normally and mm. just guide them gently into those spaces. And if they never joined the gym, it was okay because yeah. that was their thing. But a lot of times you'd see these people that would come on a discover mountain biking program with me Next thing, they're in my spin class, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it just was that the connection to you or to the activity, though? Uh, I think it was probably the activity. Ultimately, maybe I started it, but I think it was ultimately activity because they really loved cycling, but they want to get better at it. So they come along to one of my classes. The next thing, they're in somebody else's spin class, you know. Mm. Uh, but my point being that there's so much to do out there, whether it's stand up paddle boarding or walking or whatever, I don't think we should put classifications on things for necessarily the amount of effort expended. But I do say to people that are time poor, try and find something that you engages most of the body. Uh, Yana and I stand up paddleboard as often as we can, two, three times at least a week because we get such value out of it. We're yeah. out on the water, we see birds, we're talking to each other, you know, there's no noise, there's no cacophony around us. That 45 minutes that we do is is really good value for us on so many different levels. And so that's something that I don't honestly go to the gym very often myself anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, very rarely, because I find that that's the activity that I will do regardless. I will fight my way home to get home early enough for us to paddle before dark for us. And and it's not... And it's actually for me more than anything. So find an activity that you really enjoy. And that's about experimentation. And yes, there's a little bit of intimidation yeah. trying new things. Yeah. <clears throat> but if you can find a guide, somebody that's good at it, that that enjoys it, that likes teaching it, or would love to take you for a walk or, you know, take you for your first paddleboard and you know they're not going to be intimidating. Like there's a lot of different entry points. So I don't know that the gym is, you know, certainly, and I know you're not saying this, um, mm and I'm probably not answering your question about, you know, how do you make it through the doors? But I think when you get a little bit more confidence, you feel a little healthier, you're getting a little more sense of uh, comfort with how you feel about yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror, then stepping into the gym downstream gets a lot easier. Certainly does. Yeah. Well, that is a great way to finish an incredible conversation and a beautiful connection. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I have thoroughly enjoyed every moment of this and I can honestly say hand on heart, I've been 100% present the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) There's my micro moment. Thanks so much, Brad. Thanks (laughs) for making your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tink. If you love this podcast, tell your mum and your dad and your grandpa and your friends. Thanks for joining this podcast. Want to take the conversation further and learn more about how to live an energised and pain-free life as you age? Then jump into our website at agerebels.com. 
Stay tuned for the next episode of the Age Rebels Revolution. Thank you.